Happy holidays to one and all out there. Speaking of the holidays, we're going to be taking a short, just a week, people, just one week off. However, we're going to keep bringing the content to you. We have an episode focused on Omnichannel. We had an amazing guest from Humana, Holly Kessinger. She came in and talked about their Omnichannel aspirations, how they're going about the planning and the execution. We think you're going to love it. Even if you already heard it, heck, replay it. And if you didn't hear it, if it's new to you, enjoy it for the first time. Happy holidays to all. And we will catch you next week on Catalyst with a brand shiny new episode. Have a good one. Ta-da. Holly's first podcast. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Catalyst, the Launch by NTT Data podcast. Catalyst is an ongoing discussion for digital leaders dissatisfied with the status quo and yet very optimistic about what's possible through smart technology and some great people. Today on the Launch Podcast, I've got two great people with me. First and foremost, I have Holly Kessinger, Vice President of Digital Experience Solutions at Humana, and we're going to discuss her pursuit of what is a nirvana-like state of omnichannel bliss. Omnichannel is some tough stuff. It's a, it's big, it's, it's audacious, and we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it and talk about the nuances as well with Holly today. And joining us in the studio, you might have heard him already on, on a recent podcast, did a wonderful job with us, is Robbie Elliott, our GM with us at launch, and he's a partner with Holly and her team at Humana with their aforementioned pursuit of omnichannel happiness. Robbie, going to start with you. Excited to have you back on. I'm glad to see you're home. Last time you were on the road in Smashville, you're back. Maybe just a quick pit stop, but how you doing, dude? Doing great. Doing great. Excited to be here. Nashville is always fun, but it's always good to be home in Atlanta. There you go. And Robbie, let's not kid ourselves though. You know, I could talk to you all day. We, we could chit chat, of course. However, the real star today, she's right here with us. It's Holly and she's tackling some of the biggest things at Humana. And we're ex- super excited to welcome her to Catalyst. Holly, hellos from us to you. Before we dive into the topic du jour, I got to ask you, you live in and around the Louisville area and you know, say Robbie and I, we, we pop in for lunch. Where are you taking us? Why is that the place? What's the must have? What do you serve it up? Oh, that is a tough question. But first of all, thank you all for having me today. This is incredibly exciting. Um, but to answer your question, I would have to go with the Mayan Cafe. It's right downtown in Louisville. Louisville is is a foodie city, believe it or not. We actually have a culinary school here. So there's just lots of really great local food. The Mayan Cafe is one that is locally owned. Um, It's all farm to table. So, you know, they're using the local farmers for all of their dishes. And it's Central American fusion. And believe it or not, their most famous menu item is Toxel Lima beans. And they are amazing. Let me tell you. You have to go there and try the lima beans. They even put the recipe on their website because it's just like everybody wants to know how they make lima beans delicious because otherwise I would not be eating lima beans. (laughs) It's a bit of a tough sell, but but a lovely one at the same time, right? But that's the part I love is that people might not know Louisville as 
the way you just described it and, and giving some love to the Mayan cafe. And then, hey, go try something like lima beans that, that somehow, some way, I guess it's some magic dust on there, Robbie, that make them, make them delicious. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited when I do get down there at some point to, uh, to try it out. So thank you, Holly. Well, when Robbie and I come and knock on your door, we'll, we'll take a trip to the Mayan cafe, which is awesome. You got All right, it. So I've shared with the audience before at Catalyst that I'm a big time sucker for an origin story. And Holly, when I look at, you know, doing a little bit of sleuthing, which which means I went to your LinkedIn and poked around a little bit and then clicked on some links, I see that your major in college was language and PR. So you start at marketing in Humana in your early career, and it looks to me like you crossed that chasm, the digital chasm of going from, you know, marketing into a digital lead and actually took a role in government. So what made you do it essentially? Why were you where you were and said, ooh, I think I could go do more with this and then have that evolve? Um, it's a great question. I think a lot of leaders that end up in product management and engineering started their careers similar to me in that they were either in MarTech or some other field and they evolved. You know, if I, I grew up in the digital era, so everything that sort of happened as I graduated college and my career started taking off was really as digital was growing as part of our everyday life. So I think product management and engineering, I I just sort of represent, I think, a generation of people that ended up in this field that didn't necessarily dream about it, you know, when they were, when they were in college. I will say my mom is a hairstylist and my dad is an engineer. So I like to think that I have the left brain, right brain creativity going on. And it's served me well in, you know, starting in marketing and really being able to use more of my creative background to the roles that I ended up taking where I was really, and now today in the engineering side of the house, really driving and leading the development of the capabilities themselves. So I started my career out at Humana actually and And I had a short stint there and I learned a lot. Again, like you said, I was in marketing. But where I really got my digital engineering chops was when I worked for the city of Louisville. And it was such an amazing opportunity because it was like being at a startup in a sense. This was back when a program called Code for America was just taking ground across the country. And the idea was that you would take the innovation that's happening at companies like Yelp and Netflix and inject those kinds of resources into public service in the local communities. And so Louisville was one of the Code for America cities. And it was just this amazing opportunity to, with a shoestring budget, working very locally, impacting my community, to completely redesign our entire digital experience. We actually didn't really have a digital experience to speak of. So it was, you know, we had like a .NET website, everything took one engineer in the back to like change the website to uh, fully open source Drupal. And actually, I think today they, you know, years later, they're still using uh, that open source technology to, you know, present all their digital services and websites. So that was really my foray into this space. And then, you know, I just realized that I love blending the creative and the technical to make a thing for people. You know, at that time I was working on things like, hey, we need an EMS portion of this website. We need a public health services portion of this website. We need to be able to make it easier for people to get all the permits needed to get a food truck going so that they can make a living. So that was really where the passion began 
and then, you know, fast forward to now, I, I can't think of a better industry to be in than healthcare because of all of the opportunity that we have in this space to just change lives for every American. And that's why I'm so excited to continue to be growing my career at Humana right now. I love it because for a couple of reasons, the biggest part is the blending of the creative and then the let's execute, right? Like at launch, we talk about pragmatic visionaries all the time. So it's like, hey, I've got a goal, I've got a vision, and I've got to work within what are legitimate constraints. You know, it's, it's you're not, you're not two people in a garage. It's cool. That's a great thing. We love startup culture. We love startup velocity. And then there's the reality of actually making it happen on the ground within a large organization. And you could, you could borrow, certainly infuse some of those tactics that get you better velocity, you know, increase your velocity, and you still have got to navigate and stage and, and execute and build momentum. The piece for me, Robbie, that I want to ask you about too is when I hear Holly talking about, you know, her her first venture into into government digital experiences, and she's saying, you know, we were taking what was Yelp and and then influences from Netflix. To me, that screams like simplifying, borrowing what we see in B two C, right, and and then doing the same things, if you will, to simplify experiences now for, in, in that, that particular case, a citizenry. Robbie, when you're sitting inside the team with Humana or, or any of the clients, how much is still happening where people are looking to the B2C market and borrowing what are really good concepts and bringing them to the enterprise? What do you see? Yeah, it's an imperative for a lot of our partners, you know, in Holly and her team at, at Humana, which Holly is fully aware of, you know, we talk about it often, you know, you bring up Yelp and Netflix, you bring up Amazon, you bring up a lot of these bigger companies, they're actually shaping customer expectations, employee expectations, citizen expectations. So when you talk about digital platforms and how you digitally connect any of those humans to your brand, to your service, to your product, their expectations are set. So I, I think you have to be open to listening to those humans when you're engaging with them digitally, you have to be able to, and I think, you know, Holly's a great example of a leader who has the head and the heart for this business. She can plow through any details and see the vision, the end state of where we need to be, you know, kind of that 50,000 foot, 500,000 foot view down to the five foot view. She does that with ease. And I think that's one of the things that we see with a lot of our partners is like the, the really great leaders who really drive compelling experience transformation, acknowledge that all of those influences on, on the people they're targeting or, or trying to provide the right experience for are shaped by those brands. Beautiful job of, of also weaving in one of my favorite modern bands there, the head and the heart. So you, you get bonus, <laughs> you get bonus points for that. Now, Holly, the thing I think we're going to evolve the conversation over to is it's one thing to do it for one experience. Then it's a whole nother bowl of wax to, to attempt and then do it for all experiences, right? All mediums, all experiences, all people. How are they going to digest this? And getting that all to be this, hopefully, smooth consistency. And, and again, I think that's a, that's a way of framing what Omnichannel is. So hitting the fast forward button for you at this point in your career, you're now the VP of Digital Experience Solutions at Humana, like we talked about. And for those that don't know, Humana is a large health, health insurance company, and there's around 70,000 employees and servicing, the best I can see lately, about 17 million members of the Humana network. So, Holly, you've got 17 million plus people 
that you need to answer to when it comes to the digital experiences if they're not exceptional, they're not consistent. So what keeps you up professionally at night? What keeps you, it's also probably what keeps you motivated, but what are those things that you're just always thinking about? Oh, yeah. For one, I say that it's my other child, right? Because it is like being a mom in the sense that you never stop worrying about it. There's 17 million other kids, right? (laughs) And that, you know, I'm responsible for the digital front door and my team is responsible for that. It is something that, you know, number one, what keeps me up at night is we need that website and that mobile app to be up and running and snappy and perfect every single day. So I'm very focused on quality and resiliency as part of my, uh, Mm. you know, responsibilities. But I think constantly about how we're going to make the experience better. And to your point around, it, it can't just be in those channels, but thinking about what happens before and after and consumer expectations. The Netflixes and the Amazons are setting the tone. They have been for 10 years. So um, I, I view a lot of my job as providing the incredibly talented teams that I work with, uh, with all of the right tools and support to do their job really well and to solve those customer problems and to do it with excellence. And, you know, Robert mentioned, I mean, one thing that you have to do is you have to bring in that outside in thinking, you have to, you know, there's all the, all the things we want to go through from a design standpoint, you know, journey mapping and service blueprints and all of that to really map out and understand what the experience needs to be like. But those things are communication tools because you're telling a story and you're trying to generate excitement and passion for the change that needs to happen because that's how, I have been successful with the high-performing teams that that I've worked with is, you know, using those tools as a, a method for bringing a team together around a problem to solve and doing that at scale. You have to be able to repeat that across many teams and many people around that common vision. So, you know, it's more of an art than a science in a lot of ways. And uh, it's also a constant effort. It's something that you have to wake up every day and get excited about And I think what keeps me up at night, going back to your question, is how do I continue to to motivate? How do I continue to give those teams the tools to to do their best work? And how do I stay on top of all of the, the things that are happening in the industry that are not even within our industry, but outside of our industry, just in our consumer's environment that are pushing the needle of the expectations? So one of the things I want to, I want to, dig in a little bit deeper with you, Holly, is so you you have this bold vision for an omni-channel experience at Humana. I'm assuming when you go look at the portfolio that that consumes, if you will, or, or is made up of the composition, you've got different tools built at probably very different times, built to serve different people, different user groups that have different missions, if you will. And on the individual tool level, it might work pretty well. It might do the job, but when you look at it as like this bouquet you're trying to put together, they're incongruent. They, they, they don't jive as, as a whole yet. So you're not quite there yet, right? That's not, that's not what Omnichannel is, the promise of Omnichannel is. So how do you begin? What's the tactic or starting point or team gathering? How do you look at that with honesty and then start to lay out challenges that are like, okay, team, we're going to go here. We know it's an uphill fight. We know this is tough, right? It's worth doing. It's hard. 
Where do you actually begin? What comes first for you? You have to build momentum. You build momentum through creating that excitement. You create the excitement through painting the vision of the future. So you have to start with that, of course. Once you do that and you cast that strategic vision, and that's the journey that we've been on and that I've been on in many roles, many transformational roles that I've had throughout my career, you have to put wins on the board. And I think that's where the MVP, you know, the startup mentality is so critical. You know, again, going back to, and actually Humana is close to a hundred thousand person company at this point. Nice. When you're working at that level, you really have to think long-term and know where you're headed, but act short-term. And that's very hard to do. MVP helps teams do that. So we spend a lot of time making sure that everyone understands the vision and where we're headed and then enabling you know, teams that have a cross-functional set of folks working on them to start to solve those problems. So, you know, with Omnichannel, you've got a team that works on chat. You've got a team that works on text messaging. You've got folks that are, you know, in the digital department. You've got the contact center folks. You've got the product and design team. And all of them have to come together, understand the problems that are trying to be solved that they maybe only see their piece of, right? And then start to solve for and execute on that. And that's where we can start realizing that customer value immediately. And then that's how you get to tell the bigger story, you know, because you're starting with a small bet um, in a large company, you've got that long, slow trajectory. So being able to create those wins and those shorter iterative cycles that you can then go and ask, uh, get the yes to the bigger question, right? And that's that's how we do it. Yeah, no, that that makes a ton of sense. And again, it's the part that comes up for me is, getting that momentum. It's the biggest, one of the biggest differentiators from the true, hey, we we are a startup, like literally two or three people in a garage and and we just, we're going all in, our chips are on this thing and we're making a bet. That's what startups are doing. They're just, they're making a bet on themselves that they, they they could bring this product to market with the right momentum. And it's all go. In the enterprise world, to me, it seems like it has to be more thoughtfully staged to bring people and get the right kind of gravity, if you will, around the concept or the vision so that you just get that consistent buy-in and you get people chirping about it in a good way you know, down the hallways and sharing it on whatever you might use, Slack or Teams or whatever you may use. That in and of itself becomes a almost a communications project, which I think for you, again, that left left side, right side brain kind of coalesced there. And probably and the, your background in PR probably helps quite a bit as well, which is, which is really cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's, you got you have to go sell, you got to go internally. You've got to sell the vision. And then Robbie, I wanted to ask you too. So, you know, you're, you're on the floor with the, with the amount of team, with Holly's team. How does that, how does that work? There's so much to go do in the long, in the grand scheme of it. There's a lot to go do. How is the selection process work with, you know, you and our team, Holly's team, to say, okay, what are we going to go do early? Like, what are the things that, that are on the board? And then how are we going to, you know, filter down and say, okay, here's the couple things that are going to give us that biggest lift that we're looking for. How is your relationship with Holly and her team? How does that work? And, and what is, what's that dynamic like? Yeah. The first thing I say is like trust, mm. right? From the first conversations we had with Holly and her team, it was, they, they knew that they had 
a lot of challenges. They knew that they had a lot of work to get done in a very quick amount of time. And the, the default motion for her high-performing team was to share information, give insight. And we immediately jumped on that. So over the course of several weeks, we started aligning around all of the details, technical details, design details, customer challenges. Her team had done a ton of research and really taken hard looks at the challenges that they were trying to solve for. And, and so, you know, transparency was the key there, openly sharing things, challenging things both ways, you know, from our team and, and Holly's team, you know, challenging each other on assumptions, challenging each other on sort of the thought process and the approach, you know, the personas that we were looking at. And, and like I said, trust is the, is the foundational element to that, because, you know, without that, you're, you're going to maybe not share something. You're going to pull back a little bit. Um, you're not going to feel comfortable disagreeing with somebody. I think we have a lot of healthy friction within the team. I think high-performing teams, you know, collaboratively, even with like a vendor-partner type relationship, that healthy friction, you know, allows people to disagree. You know, psychological safety comes along with trust and, and pushing each other to do what's right for the end user of these experiences is the most important thing. And I think, you know, Holly and her leadership team have set the right tone. There, there are no egos. There's no, you know, pretense around it, no titles. It's just he, we're here to do a job. We're here to do a job and, and, and transform an experience for this end user and how we get there and what that looks like. We all don't know, but we know that we need to work together to get there. Yeah, that constant dialogue and pushing each other. And like you said, that healthy friction, I think, is super important because in my opinion, you can't just be in a room and be order takers. If you're not going to get the end result, that's best for, again, the end user there. And then Holly, are there a couple of examples or even one that you could pull from that is like an early stage win MVP where you were able to maybe convert some people, like bring, bring along some naysayers? What was that experience like for you? Like, what can you share? I think the whole process of thinking omni-channel is where we've had a huge win. And, you know, even in my time at Metro, it wasn't, we weren't calling it omni-channel back then, but the idea of sitting in an office somewhere where someone has an in-person interaction and trying to figure out how to digitize that, that's the work that we're doing right now to understand what is it that our customers are having to call us to do that we can digitize. And I think for the longest time, the prevailing thought around what could be digital and what couldn't be digital was very static. And what I mean by mm. that is in our digital experience today, you you know, we've identified what's a highly transactional kind of thing that you can get accomplished in a mobile app or a website, right? Like you can view your status of your claims. You can view an ID card. You can, you know, check a list of like, what are your benefits? Stuff like that. Look up a doctor. Those are very transactional. And, you know, the things that require a conversation, we've always just sort of relied on the in-person or the phone call to, to solve those problems because they think they're too complex. And I think, you know, one of the topics we're going to hit on at some point is, you know, how much that's changing with conversational AI uh, and what the art of the possible is to really answer questions, dare I say, better than a human Mm. could help you answer them, right? Or assist in those kinds of things. And it's just really exciting to see where that's going. But even with 
even with the technology we have today, I love to give this example. I had a friend who worked in the banking industry. She said to me, the game changed for them when you could deposit the check through the mobile app. It was like their traffic went from like, it was like zero to 60, you know what I mean? (laughs) And that was the one really awesome digital experience that like people just wanted to be able to do without having to go to a bank and suddenly you could do it. And there's probably like thinking forever that, oh no, that could never be done. Right. And and she asked me, what's your mobile check? Like, what is Hmm. it that thing? So post COVID, there's a tons of things that in the healthcare industry we're rethinking, of course, telemed, right? But even in servicing insurance, and we are having those small wins where we're starting to look at, you know, should a member have to call to to better understand their benefits? Or is that something that we could better explain through a digital, a digital interface? So those are the kinds of things that we're exploring. And um, really, uh, at this point, just challenging the notion that We've already identified all the places where digital can help or touch points like digital, you know, whether it's text messaging or email, can help and redefining that and really exploring what else we could be doing for the whole service experience, not just, you know, what we've traditionally identified as the transactional pieces. I love the challenge that was presented to you to to find your mobile check and well, looking at the omni-channel experience, you, you mentioned AI. I want to dive into that a bit with you as well. As you're challenging yourself to push that value ever higher from transactional into those into those things that are uh, could be more valuable to the to the consumer and unexpected, right? You didn't expect to serve them this way. How do you start to delineate between the possibility of okay, that could be digital self-service, and we could do it really really well, uh, you know, explain it, have a great interface, and lead them and show them a tutorial and get the user feedback, make sure they're tapping the right things and they get they get the outcome they're looking for. And then how do you delineate between that art of the possible that goes, ooh, that could be AI, that that might be an AI element. Is it purely conversational? Is it uh, like, where's the, where's the focus for you and your team as you're looking to apply AI at this time? I think there are so many opportunities and just, you know, across the industry, specifically in healthcare, I would say, because we're so focused on the service experience, we are really looking at, you know, how do we just help make something easier for our customers to understand? Insurance is complex. Healthcare is complex. You know, how can we um, just better explain what you need to do when you need to go get cataract surgery, right? Or, you know, and what's going to happen next after you do that? And maybe... You know, since you're getting cataract surgery, we know the next step is you're going to need these eye drops, right? Like, so yep. just, there are so many opportunities just in servicing the the whole path of, of healthcare. You know, I think, Robert, you talked about this, but design is really important to uncovering these things. Because if you don't understand the problem from the customer's perspective, you will not come up with the right answer. And it it's so, it's so important that you really understand, you know, you'll have like one person in a vertical that will have a great idea, but they haven't thought about what's going to happen before or after that. And then, you know, we've sort of sub-optimized for one part of the experience. And I'm sure Robert has, you know, plenty to say on this topic. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we talk often with, with Holly and her team, you know, a lot of the history of technology the last 10 to 20 years that were like built around like point solutions, you know, text messaging capabilities, websites, apps, you know, AI, you know, generative conversational AI, that, that that's another point solution. And you can get lost in all of the point solutions for, you know, your users if you don't think about, like Holly said, the upstream and downstream impacts to that, right? Like, how does all of this fit together? When, when am I using, you know, my phone? When am I using my laptop? When do I not want to do anything? When do I just want to fire off an email or text message somebody and not log into anything, but just ask a quick question? Fitting all of those pieces together is is like Holly said. That's that's more of the art side of things. That's more of the creative side side of things. And I think we also mentioned like that that startup mentality. You know, Humana, like like some of our other clients, is an incredible company. They're very good at so many things. It would take them a long time to run out of money and stop doing things or really fail. For startups, every day is an opportunity for them to fail and go out of business. So it's existential for startups. So I think understanding the users, understanding the imperative, Holly's PR background, like building that momentum internally and focusing more on the creative side rather than those technical sort of logical like point solution type sides is is a challenge for any leader. And so you know, when I think about that, I, I think, you know, look, you've got to think more broadly. You've got to have an open mind. You've got to be creative and then think about how all of those pieces fit together in a meaningful way for Humana, right? What is the Humana brand? How do we want to reach and engage with our members? And that's something that Holly and her, her team are asking constantly and asking us and our team to help with. One of the biggest pieces or maybe the foundational piece for all of this for me is the idea that an omni-channel, it's, again, it's not just about having all these really good bespoke experiences. It is about having a robust platform of experiences that all feel really similar, right? So that the nice example you said about a cataract surgery. Okay. Someone goes and gets a cataract surgery. You thought about what they need before. You thought about what they're going to be going through and what information they could use and how they should communicate kind of during and the days leading up and the days right after. And you think critically about you know, the weeks after that. So they, so they heal the right way, get the right service. Cool. And that's one thing. But then when you go to do the next thing, what, and let's say it's a, you know, treatment for colon cancer, you know, colonoscopy and they found something and, and then away they go, right? There's a, a whole nother journey there for that user. But the secret sauce, in my opinion, is how much reuse can you get when you have, when you've established a really strong design system, when you've established your technology tool set and when do you use them? Like when do you send text versus versus the phone call and things of that nature? And how much reuse can you do? Not just for the sake reuse being um, you know less expensive, if you will, because it is. If you're reusing technology and then your dollar cost averaging it across multiple experiences, well, guess what? You are lowering the cost of that next digital experience you could release. That's good. But at the end user who had cataract surgery in, in 2017, but is now going through a trial with, with colon cancer, say, they know your system now. They're, they're experiencing it in a very similar way. So even though they never had the, let's say, the colon care experience yet, they already know what to do in your system. And like that, to me, is like when you can start to feel what success feels like there. And that's really platform level. And so, Holly, I guess, how do you take the great journeys, the cataract one, and then make sure the team understands like, look, 
this is actually a platform play. Like, how do you win, win those hearts and minds, the head and the hearts, and build that momentum with, within a rather large organization, she said, is now pushing 100,000 people? First of all, what you described, I mean, that's our vision, right? That's where we want to go. And I think I sometimes call myself a plate spinner, and I say, how many plates am I spinning today? (laughs) And it's because you have to spin several of those plates to get that right, because you're spinning the plate that is very focused on the one thing, right? Like, can we deliver a great experience for this one journey for this type of member having this type of issue? And I think where a lot of the industry has, I won't say failed, but maybe struggled is to not create repeatable platform, you know, like not have that vision for platform. So you end up with maybe something that worked really well in one space, but it's not scalable. So, and that's the plate spinning we're doing now, which is how do we focus on those short-term wins that inform something that's reusable, scalable, predictable for the customer because they've experienced it this way and they're going to, you know, experience it again. And it takes a different level of leadership. It takes a different level of strategic partnership within a company with the partners that you have externally because you're moving everyone toward perhaps a new tech stack, perhaps um, which then impacts what kind of engineers that you have which then impacts your design system because you got to think about reusability and everything can't be a special unicorn, right? (laughs) Which then impacts how you think about investment, right? And those are like big sea changes that you have to make, you know, as you're implementing these things. But I'm excited because we're on that journey and it is so cool to be a part of it. And I am so serious and Robert's heard me say this before, I'm in my dream job. I really am. I don't know if you all have ever heard of the, there's a Japanese philosophy. It's called Ikigai. I don't, I love to tell people about it. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's like four overlapping circles. And then the middle is if you have your Ikigai, which means you're doing something you love, you're doing something the world needs, you're doing something you can get paid for, and you're doing something you're good at. Because those are the four things that like, it's like Nirvana, right? So like, that's what I want everyone on our team to be able to have to do this work because it's so important. And I can say, you know, happily that I'm definitely in my happy place with that. I love that. And, and, and Robbie, like the fact that you get to interface and be part, be part of that, um, that Venn that Holly just described is, is really, really important and cool too. So from, from your perspective, as someone that's coming from the services side, how important is it that the stuff that you get to bring the team into is felt that way, that it is in this, this beautiful event, this Ikigai event. And then how does that, you know, um, impact? What's the impact from the services side and into the teams that you're working with? Like, how is it felt, I guess, is the way to say it. Yep. And, you know, I think just to, to plug, you know, the work that you're doing, Clinton, with your team, you know, the Catalyst podcast, I think, covered intimacy with client relationships. You know, that's, that's one thing, like we talked about trust, and intimacy of the client relationship, you know, we all do better when we're playing to our strengths, right? And you you need that intimacy to understand what each other's strengths are. You know, like Holly said, bringing that outside perspective in, you know, we have designers who have built 
some amazing systems and engineers who have built some amazing systems for some amazing companies. And the challenge at Humana is unique. And I think having that diverse set of experiences, working with Holly's teams, you know, and, and her leaders has empowered the team to play to their strengths and to be able to draw boundaries around things that we're not good at. And luckily, you know, Human has got an incredible team working under Holly's leadership. So we've been really thankful for that. So I think when you when you think about that Iki guy, we we try to seek that. We try to seek that with our partnerships because we're not going to be successful without Holly and her team. I have a feeling that that Holly and her team are much better off with our partnership as well as she's trying to tackle some of the challenging work that she's doing with her leaders. And I think that's one of the foundational things is, is, is playing to our strengths, finding that balance and understanding what we're good at, what we're not good at, and then openly discussing it, like I said, with that trust, that intimacy. Again, I think it's vision, right, Holly, that you set, you're setting that vision for it. And then you're getting to a very emotional spot, very human, human emotional to say, hey, join us in this, in this center you just talked about, which is that, that icky guy. Uh, then that you described so well. So it's no shock to me that you're getting the buy-in, that you're getting the momentum, you're getting people rallying because you're setting a strong vision and that you're blending the creative, we're going to push, we're going we're gonna to challenge each other, we're going to have very, very tough discussions. And you're blending that very well with executional philosophy that again, for an enterprise, it just makes a lot of sense. You've got to just keep getting those, those runs. And it's not home runs, Right? We're not talking about home, but baseball, Louisville. People love baseball down there. I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I'm a Mets fan. Woe is me, but I'm a Mets fan. So I'm a, I'm a, big, a big baseball guy too. It's not always about the three-run home run. Very often, the better teams are just racking the singles, racking the doubles, getting people on base, stretching at-bats, getting the best at-bats possible, even if, even if the at-bat ends in failure. That's okay. It's a purposeful at-bat. And Doing that consistently in the baseball metaphor over nine innings, more often than not, you win on the scoreboard. So cool conversation, Holly. Really appreciate you joining us today. And it's it's fun to to live vicariously, at least for you know, a half hour or so and understand your world, understand how you're how you're getting these people, everybody around this this beautiful vision. And I really wish you you and the team at Humana the best. Love it. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a true highlight of my week, probably my year. I'm a dreamer. So I love love to uh, talk about this sort of stuff because um, it it gets me even more excited about the great work that we're doing. So I really appreciate your time and Robert uh, for having me and thank you all. Love it. It was, it was a lot, lot of fun, Holly. Thank you so much. And, and again, the invite will be open to you. And a reminder to folks out there that if you were a, a Postlight podcast listener, Postlight has now transitioned into Launch by NTT Data. This is the Catalyst podcast, which is just a continuation of years of awesome podcasting that the Postlight team had done. And remember that in this studio, we believe in shipping software over slideware that fast will follow smooth and that aiming to create digital experiences that move millions is a very worthy pursuit. Join us next time as the pursuit continues on Catalyst, the launch by NTT Data podcast.